0: Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. A bit about me, I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur and investor who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. The Dear 20-something podcast started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful changemakers they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts, we're here to humanize the whole thing, You'll hear from successful trailblazers who will share the highs and lows of their 20s, and you'll also get words of wisdom from some experts who will speak on a certain topic relevant for 20-somethings. And then sometimes it'll just be me on the mic hosting an episode where I share recent reflection or story from my own life as I too am navigating this wild decade. We're so happy to have you here. Let's get started.
1: Today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Karika Patel. Krika is the CEO and re-founder of Seed Phytonutrients. A first-generation Indian American, Karika comes from a very close-knit family that has always placed a strong emphasis on the importance of respect, compassion, hard work, and perseverance. These qualities are exemplified by her parents, both entrepreneurs that came to the US with very little to their names and have gone on to build and grow successful businesses from the ground up. Karika's father is an R&D and product development pioneer and her mother is a marketing and business development leader who has a rich and deep-rooted history in Ayurvedic medicine and beauty. From family vacations to the foothills of the Himalayas to source unique new raw materials to attending beauty trade shows as a little girl, Karika was practically raised by beauty, motivating and inspiring her to one day make her own dedicated place in the beauty universe. Karika's vision for the brand is to continue to grow seed phytonutrients into the industry leader on product performance and sustainability the core values that serve as the team's North Star and help guide every decision. And we will get into all the nitty gritty in a few minutes. She lives in Dallas, Texas with her husband and three kids, the motivating force behind her hustle. Every day, she hopes to inspire them to reinvent the wheel and always aspire to new heights of success like her parents motivated and influenced her. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Karika Patel. Hi, Karika. Hello. Hello. How's it going? It's going good. It's early. We're recording at 8 a.m. on a Monday. That's just a bold decision by both of us. Oh, you know, I have three toddlers under three. So
2: this is like midday for me. Oh my gosh. So like my whole morning's already gone and come by. So I'm bright eyed, bushy tailed, ready for
1: this. Oh my God. Wait, what time do you normally get up? Do you have like a 6 a.m. or does it vary? I try to wake up at 6 a.m. before the kids are up. That's like this
2: pipe dream thing that I'd always wanted to do, but i truthfully, let the kids be my alarm clock because every last second in the morning is pure gold. I'm a night person. I'm a night owl. I am not a morning person. And I've learned the hard way that you kind of have to be a morning person to have kids. So I take every last second the kids will give me in the morning.
1: Do you think it's because that they have to go to school early in the morning? And so you have to wake up early and make sure that they're good to go. Like why do kids force you to be a morning person? I'd love to hear more on that. They have these internal clocks that
2: just wake their bodies up like and it's so true they oftentimes say if they go to sleep late they don't oftentimes sleep in they actually wake up earlier because their bodies are either super tired or they're just so like frazzled that their bodies just naturally sort of wake up in the morning i don't know if you've ever experienced that i mean truth be told this happened to me college days if i've had a really late night a lot of drinking i'm like over and then my body just naturally wakes up early in the morning Yeah, that's like basically little kids every single day minus the alcohol. So it's just their bodies just kind of function that way. So I'm waiting for the time where my kids can just wake up and like operate on their own and like get their own stuff together. But no such luck. Like I said, I have two and a half year old twin boys and then a one year old daughter. So they need all sorts of care in the morning.
1: So I got to kind of wake up at their demand. As you're saying this, I am, do not have kids yet, but I think I'm going to have to be just like you. I'm a night owl that's going to have to convert. So it might hit you up in like 10 years and get your thoughts on on the transition. I can't even imagine. And then also twins. So I'm a twin. I'm obsessed with twins. How is the twin thing going? Are they identical, fraternal? What's the twin situation? They're super identical visually, but could not be more opposite.
2: Personality wise, temperament wise, needs, wants wise. I mean, it's pretty astonishing. So, I had the boys in November of 2019. And then, so they were born, they were a little creamy. So, they were very well protected. And we keep them away from all the ickies. But then, as they got their shots and we were like, yes, we get to introduce them to the world, COVID hit. So, for the first pretty much 15 to 18 months of their life, they were in like a forever quarantine with me and my family. So, I say that because they were really, truly like raised the exact same way, like same environmental experiences, cues, you know, tendencies, all the same, but they are literally the most opposite humans. One is super lovable, very calm, very affectionate. The other is like a wild child. Like he's going to be our troublemaker. I call him. I'm like, oh my God, he's going to have the ladies around and I'm going to have to teach him early, like how to be respectful to girls. Cause like, I know those guys in college and I damned if I raised a child like that. So it's like our own little like life experiment to watch these little boys kind of grow and and be their own independent little humans. And and I'm kind of hardcore about, I don't dress them the same. Like we allow them to have all their own choices. And I I try my best to do that. And our family, would try to try our best to do that. But it's fun. I I actually never wanted twins. I was kind of freaked
1: out about the concept of twins. And then I had my own. So careful what you wish for out there. It's a PSA. Okay, so here, (laughs) that's so funny to hear. It also makes a lot of sense that they're very different. I think no matter what environment you raise them you raise them in, if they are going to be two best friends, two peas in a pod, they're going to compensate for each other. I think that's more of what it is. It's like the really calm and loving one is always going to be the advice giver for the other. And the more wild, crazy one's always going to be the one that's like got the fun idea, making the other one more spontaneous. So I think it's the best thing ever. I hope you have more twins. I think it's just the greatest gift you can ever give to someone in the world is to have like a buddy since day one someone who like knows friends and family, someone who has lived everything. It's almost like having like, you know, people talk about that voice in your head that like gives you advice. Imagine having that that's like been there with you since you were born as like a real human. Amazing, it's like an extension of yourself and another person. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. I love that. Thanks. I just love my sister. She's just the best. And I think that like I just, anyone's so blessed if they get a buddy like that, especially that's like the same gender as them anyway, I'm very excited for you to see how they grow up. Did you and your sister? Did you guys fight a lot growing up? You know, my mom really didn't let us fight. I mean, we had our little things like we had like, you took my shirt and like, God, I want to watch that reality show, not that reality show. You know, we had the classic, but this was actually I have something I think was really helpful. She never let us say we hated each other. Ever since we were very little, like she would say, She was very much like, this is your best friend. You don't compete with family was the first one. So we never competed. And you are not allowed to say that you hate each other ever. So like, sometimes it's I don't like her right now. Right? I don't like that. She didn't let me watch the real world or whatever. But you never say you hate them. And you never compete with family. So like, whether it's classes, tests, nothing, this is your, this is your, they got your back, you know. So I have lots of tips to raise like twins that adore each other and are still best friends in their 20s. So we can chat more offline about this. I feel very strongly that like I want twins to take over the world. If I could guarantee twins for all my children, like I would do that. Like seriously, it's that intense. That's amazing. <laughs> well, I'll definitely call calling. I'll give you a
2: uh, night owl advice for the kids in the morning and you give me twins advice. Fair deal. Fair very deal. Very fair. Very fair.
1: <laughs> Timelines might be a little off. I don't want kids anytime soon. Take your time. I help you now. You help me later. Love it. Well, so let's get into the nitty gritty. So before we start with like your childhood 20s, we like to ask a bit of a fun and light question to start. And this can go in any series of directions you want. It could even be about your kids. So we ask all our guests, what is something fun you learned this past week? And it can be really absolutely anything that comes to mind, something you read from a book, maybe a really cool movie you love, conversation that made you think about something differently. But from this past week, what is something new that you learned that you want to share? Yeah, absolutely.
2: Actually, so it's very timely. Yesterday, we had a few family friends over for lunch, and it was multi-generational. So we've got, I say kids, but they're not. They're like early 20s. So very, hopefully, tell them to listen to the podcast. Early 20s, family friends of ours are kids, just are graduating college. Mine and my husband, me and my husband, who are like two millennials. And then we've got our parents, who are obviously much older. So three generations sitting around the table for lunch. And we all had a discussion. So it was interesting. I posed the question to everyone. And the reason I did this is my husband and I, we dated long distance for four years prior to getting engaged. And we actually didn't live in the same city until the week of our wedding for a host of different reasons. I was in business school, different cities. He was in working in a different city. So it was was great. So our entire relationship was built upon questions and getting to know each other because we saw each other once, maybe twice a month. But we really relied on conversation and getting to know each other as the kind of the the heart of our relationship. So we did these things called ILCs, intense life chats, where we would come to, and it's so silly, it would be over like Google chat or (laughs) not even on the phone sometimes because it was just like easier and like fun and like old school, like AOL days. Like no one on this podcast will understand what that is, but it was like old school chatting days of like, let's just get online and like ask each other questions. And so one of the questions that I know my husband had asked me a long time ago, the thought occurred to me, like, let's just hold a group today. And let's like, I'm curious to see multi-generations, like how people answer this question. So the question ultimately was, is imagine we lived in a society where you had children, each, everyone, let's like, hypothetically in this table had a boy and had a girl, but at birth, you as a parent had to determine the career choice of your child. So. You don't know anything, right? You don't know their personality. You don't know what their likes and interests are. But it's just in this world. You have to choose their career, and what would it be for your daughter and for your son? So there's a lot, and I purposely keep it high level. I don't really go into it, and I I just I love watching people sort of noodle on it. They ask me follow ups. I'm like, nope, plain and simple. And really, the question behind the question, kind of what is interesting to watch, is a lot of your own biases end up dictating sort of what you define as success, what you define as happiness and kind of what you deem is, is attainable achievable success or maybe unachievable so you want that in in your child possibly right so it was so interesting being indian there's a lot of pressure and there has been a lot of pressure to like be really successful and and they define success as like a doctor a lawyer you know medical professional period right and so out the gates parents were like oh i would want my son to be a doctor and i want my daughter to be a lawyer and it was like you're very atypical Whatever. And like, not even a thinking, they just immediately blurted it out. And they're like, obviously. And we're like, okay. My husband and I, we had very similar answers of like, oh, I would, I think I want my son maybe to go into like real estate, like high flown real estate. You know, you get to be very like social, you like dress well, you have to be, you know, you're, you're very successful, you're making good money, wheeling and dealing, like negotiation skills. And then for my daughter, I would want her to be a finance leader. There's not a lot of women, or there weren't, especially growing up me, like a lot of women in finance, and so I would love her to be in a career where she can pave her own path and like be kind of go against the grain. But again, right, fairly traditional, right? There's still this like gender bias there a little bit, like it's just sort of kind of traditional, but we're like kind of starting to break through a little bit for one of our parents. But then the Gen Z crew, every one of their answers, I had everyone write their answers down, so it was like unbiased. They wrote creator, like artist, for their son. And then for their daughter, director, a film director. And the reasoning was behind, you know, I don't know what their passions are today, but I would hope that they, these careers require you to be passionate about something. Like you can't just like fake being an artist. Like you have to be successful. You have to like pick a passion in that space. So their answers were just completely different than ours. And in the sense that they were thinking about passion, they weren't thinking about monetary success in the traditional sense that a lot of us were. And it was just an incredible example of how three generations at the table have such different views of how you define success, how you define career success, how you define personal success. And and it made me wonder and think like, gosh, like maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the line, like those more traditionally successful roles, like will we have shortages of like really skilled doctors or really skilled lawyers? Because now this younger generation from what I've experienced and what I've spoken with aren't finding those careers to be interesting to them. It's a lot of work. It's sometimes not even morally what they want to do. The motivations are changing and priorities are changing. So that was sort of an interesting aha moment for me yesterday to have three generations at the table and ask that question and see the varying degree of answers and the debate that ensued between the group. It was pretty awesome.
1: Okay. As so many thoughts running through my head right now. You've given me, I would argue too much to chew on, Okay. First of all, just to start, I love that you brought a question to a family event. That's like what I'm known for. And like, I would say 99% of people love that. And like 1% of people are like, not again, this is annoying, but I love it. And I will, if you want more of these like questions, I know you probably have a whole log cause you did it with your husband for so long, but there's a lot of these companies that sell like amazing decks, like con- they call them like connection decks or question decks. I honestly have like several and I literally keep them like in my home. So if people come over for like, you know, wine and cheese night or whatever, I just like whip out these cards. I'm the exact same way because I like people to have different answers and then overanalyze them, obviously. In terms of like the answers everyone gave, I mean, I think that that's almost like textbook, how you would describe each generation. And I almost think like I identify a little bit with the Gen Z answer and a little bit with the millennial answer. And so, and that makes sense. Like if you look at the timeline, Putting people, I'm on the edge. It's so interesting the difference between success and passion. And I think that's where a lot of the conflict stems between my friends and their parents. They don't understand that you can actually make as much, if not more money, actually now doing these new career paths. Like, if I think about across the board, my friends that are making the most money or have probably the most likely career path, it is the ones that are like the creators making their own movies and monetizing on YouTube you know, pursuing their own passion as an entrepreneur versus the doctors and the lawyers that have a little bit more of like a cap with how much they can make. So it's actually very interesting. I think we need to keep having conversations like this because times are changing. And if success equals money to that generation, those career paths now don't always equal the most money. So I think that's kind of part of the changing is it's not just saying they are passionate and they only care about passion as success. It's like, they also care about money. And a lot of the times you can make more money doing the thing that isn't what you used to be able to do, you know? Absolutely. And my husband and I talk about this often now that we're parents
2: and, and we're trying to do our best to raise our own children. We sort of straddle that culture shift. And, and also being first generation Indian, like I went through a high middle, you know, elementary, middle, high school, college experience that my parents had never experienced. And so a lot of my personal and my husband's personal experiences were sort of built around like, we're going to figure it out and we don't really know, but we are rooted in this really deep cultural more traditional mindset. I'm very, very blessed to have super supportive, really amazing parents that have always supported me and my brother in like every way, whether it's career, personal life, whatever. But there is a level of traditionalism there where dating was a little tough and initially, and, you know, they wanted me to go down the traditional career path. So I like had aspirations of, of biology and undergrad thinking I was going to go into pre-med and And then I switched to pre-dent because I was like, I'll be an orthodontist. And then later had this aha moment of like, wait, what am I doing? Who am I doing this for? Like, is this really what I want? And I later determined, no, this is not what I want. Like three, literally three years into biology classes, I was taking like estuarian science courses, like bird biology classes. And I was like, what is this? Like, why am I here? Like, I don't like this. Like, I'm not. And I was struggling. Like, my grades weren't great because, like, I was not into the work. And I had to have that really tough conversation with myself in college, which I felt was a little late because I'm just like, you know, I should have figured things out by now. But, you know, my biggest learning was like, there's no such thing as late. Have that conversation. Build your network to help you determine what you need and what you don't need and get the perspective. And, and I'm so thankful. Like I said, I, I had my parents allowed me to create that space where they're like, come to us with anything ever at all times. And so I came to them and I was like, oh, guys, I, I hate to say this, but like, I don't think this is what I'm meant to do. you are like, all right, great. Then what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't really know. And, and that was tough for me like I was one of those like type a cap- typical Capricorns where like I, at the age of five I was driving myself as a pediatrician and like I knew that was I was gonna do like I will I was color coding as a child like I was like a crazy crazy person like since birth. <laughs> very type a like really regimented I knew what I wanted and for the first time like my entire like dramatically like world blew up because so I was like wait I don't know what I want to do I kind of don't know what I'm good at anymore where do I go from here so it was a very interesting experience but what I learned and leveraged from that journey up until that point especially was like being honest with yourself and finding your support group whoever that may be it may not be your parents It may not be friends It may not be siblings whomever that may be like find that network and tap into them and have those regular conversations because it's important to be able to know for yourself. Others can only help you so much. You really have to dig deep because you need to be able to to help yourself to be able to find what is your true, if not calling, but kind of what's your path forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's the hardest work that never ends, right? It's like, even as you go through your career, I mean, you're probably thinking now, like every day you have to, something new comes up. You need your support system to say, do I charge forward? Do I move on? Do I do this? Do I do that? I think it's timeless advice, you know, to find your support group. And I hear you on the the pre-med bio thing. I think it's a very, very common story, whether you go the medical route or the lawyer route, it's the defining success as having money. It's coming from maybe, you know, like first gen. And I think it can be really tough. And some people figure it out day one of college. Some people figure it out after college. Some people figure it out 20, 30 years into their job. I mean, it just depends. And I think the secret, like you said, is doing the work inside to make that be as soon as possible. And you either double down and confirm, yes, I do want to be a lawyer, or you double down and say, this isn't it. I got to get out. Was there anything? So obviously support group is like tip one for you. Finding those people, girlfriends, guy friends, family. Was there anything else that really helped you get that clarity? Was it like a class you took that made you go, hmm, psych is interesting? Or, hmm, that career job sounds interesting. Or was it like journaling? Or was there anything else? At that time, that helps you make that decision. I find a lot of times when I talk to people, there's like a moment. They like meet someone at like their parents' party and that does something else. Like, wait, I didn't know that existed. Or there's there's a hard test that they fail. There's like a moment. So did you have that? And, and what helped you switch directions? So my most immediate sort of like, I
2: guess the fuel that helped me sort of switch gears was, again, it comes back to network for me and experiences. It's about putting yourself, in experiences, whether that's through a conversation, whether that's through meetings, whether that's through like moments where you get to learn about other people or just leverage other people's thoughts that kind of open doors that you don't even know existed. So very funny and bizarre story. I I mentioned in my bio, my, my family history is very steeped in the beauty industry. So my my parents have this business and they've been working with this amazing woman who had this awesome PR firm, huge, really notable PR firm out of New York and LA. And always in my mind I'm like oh that seems like such cool work but like honestly I always felt like oh that's not for me like I have to go down the science route but I always had like an interest in that space being like you know there, there's skills there that I think I could be good at like I, I, I like to speak I like to communicate with people I'm very organized I like to connect dots I'm creative I'm a strategic so person so I kind of identified parallels in there that I'm like I think I could do well in that space but kind of brushed it away because I'm like stopping crazy lady you're just going to be a doctor and just like stick to the course. But when I started having this like early identity crisis, I just sort of picked up the phone and started calling people just to sort of learn, understand. And so I remember that nagging thought of like, oh, interesting. The world of PR seems like an interesting area. So I ended up asking my parents for the contact number for this leader in the PR space. And so I gave her a call. and She's like, look, I'll connect you to my VP. Uh, I think she has a very similar story. Like, why don't you just call her, pick her brain? And so... What well, led to initially being a 15 minute, just get to know you conversation ended up being like an hour and a half of like therapy, literally like for both. Like we were, she was so amazing, so helpful and just helping me. Like and she asked me a lot of tough questions and like questions I didn't have the answers to. And she's like, that's fine. Like you don't have to have the answer to everything. You never will. But think about these things and think about at the end of the day, like how do you define success and what can you do that makes you feel that you are your best self? So. Don't think about like this defined successes and like how much money you'll make in your title. Like what skills do you have that when you do them, you feel on top of the world, like find things like that and do more of that. So she's like, that could be something as silly as like, if you really like speaking, she's like, go be a comedian. Like, I mean, you know, she was just trying to give me examples of like, what are the things you love and like explore those experiences. And so she said that I kind of blew my mind. I'm like, cool. So I went back did a lot of like working on myself my mom knows me better than anyone else. sat with her a lot kind of talked to her. I'm like, what are you seeing some of my skills and my, my strengths and, and kind of where I can thrive. But then also coincidentally, not that same lady called me back a couple weeks later and said, Hey, look, I have this internship opportunity. We're doing PR for the Victoria's Secret fashion show in LA in a couple weeks. We need an extra hand. Would you like to come out and help and just sort of see the world of PR? And I'm like, Oh uh, yeah. Like, Where do I yeah, yes, absolutely, yes. Like sign me up, I'm there. And so that was cool. Like just by a simple phone call, by just having this conversation, that kind of started me on my very first career path of like in the world of PR. So I did this internship. I then went back in December for a two-month internship in between school, first and second to be my first and second semester of school. And then they offered me a full-time job on a new business that they were starting, but kind of in the same world. So I did that for a year another story for another time i realized that was not for me but i learned it like i learned a lot it was a startup environment it was a tough situation but i'm so glad that like started my journey outside of the world of science i didn't think it was for me but then that then led me to joining my family business which was in beauty and then from there my biggest i think kicker and my biggest moment of change was meeting a gentleman that was a family friend who was a very senior leader in business and consulting who just sort of took to me, He, I met him at a party, a dinner party, one of my parents' dinner parties, and got to talking. Again, I share all day, every day, and he just, picked my brain, I let him, I, I just kind of shared where I was at, and he literally just took me under his wing. He's one of those people that was my mentor, and, and he later on, believed in me, gave me a career in his new company as a strategy business analyst, which I had no clue what I was doing. I'd never taken a finance class, but I taught myself how to do mergers and acquisitions work, taught myself fundamentals and finance in the three weeks I had to join his company. And then from there is where I got all the clarity I needed. I knew business was my thing. I loved everything about it. I loved learning. I loved the collaboration, the strategy, which then set me on the path to MBA school. And then the rest is sort of history. So very windy road, but connections are everything and experiences are even more than everything.
1: Yeah. Wow. It's very cool to hear you summarize it up too. And I think anyone that's in college and hears there's a Victoria's Secret fashion show, especially back then, it's like- Right? I know, it was huge. Separate from career, like, that's fun. Let's go party. And yeah, to hear the winding path that like you had to find your lane in business. You know, it sounds like the PR thing was maybe like, oh, cool. Or like, oh, I like Victoria's Secret and oh, startup, cool. But you really ultimately kind of kept hopping until you found that thing, which sounds like it really was this like finance, kind of more strategic side of things which is very different than PR, which is also very different than like a startup. And so it's almost like we always say like, continue to do the next right thing? And you know, you kind of knew that bio really wasn't it. And then maybe something in the world of business and then kind of hopping around until you found it. You got,
2: and there's a learning in there too, of like the first or even second or even third opportunity. If it doesn't work out, that's okay. Like I was originally very devastated. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, why do I, again, not feel settled in this? And why do I feel like this isn't my calling? And I just kept feeling like I needed to have all the answers and I needed to have everything figured out. But like, you don't, and actually I'm going to quickly share late last night. I'm also a glutton for like really crappy late night food, hence being the night owl. I ordered myself Chinese food at like 1130 because that's just what gross people do. I opened my fortune cookie. I swear, I'm not even lying. I'm going, this is it. I'm going to read it to you old dreams never die, they just get filed away. So that is like, I I got this. And I was like, whoa, like the universe is telling me I'm coming on this podcast. And like, this is super relevant. So and that's a perfect example. I think summary of like what I just shared of like, dreams, aspirations, experiences, you go through them, they may not work, they may not pan out the way you do. But take learnings from everything, things that didn't work as much as the things that did work, right? Like, on the PR role, I learned very, very, very quickly what did not work for me was a leader that was not able to give me clear, open, honest, yet constructive feedback. I was so green. I was so young. I'm like such a people pleaser. I was like killing myself working for this job and for this woman and getting absolutely no feedback. And it like killed me because I'm like, I'm just spiraling and I'm not getting any support. And and so for me, I took that and the next role I took, that was very important to me to make sure that I had that relationship set up with my manager at the time that we were able to have like regular touch bases. And I've carried that through in, in every single role. And in that second role, you know, I learned I don't need structure, but I need to be able to have the tools to create the structure because I didn't have that in that second role. So I picked up something from every single role and it's helped me become not only better for myself, but I think better for the companies I've worked for. And then now as an entrepreneur, like I'm hoping to kind of take all these different nuggets working elsewhere and being able to build my own team and build my own team culture where I can allow my own team to thrive and, and we achieve you know, great success in what we're doing too.
1: Oh, I love that. And I love it's so type A of you to be like, this is the one thing I learned. Like this was the one good. This was the one bad. This was the one good. I love it. I My brain works the same way. And it's so great that you get to now build your own thing. You know, I think that's like, we could all be so lucky to kind of craft the culture we always wish we had. Because I think what what you're saying is really spot on. You know, you might really love a product and you might really love the work, but maybe the manager just isn't giving you what you need. And then the next, you might really, you know, love the product and love the manager, but like the structure within the organization or the tools structure, whatever the structure was, not what you need. And so the beauty of being able to start your own thing is you can be like, I give clear feedback. We have structure, like blah, 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 like take it or leave it. And you can kind of craft what makes sense for you and how you thrive best. What is that point when you decide you've almost taken enough of like, the good and the bad from each thing that you're ready to then start your own. I think there's like this spiral where you can keep being like, I'm just taking learnings. I'm just perfecting, especially as a type A person, you know, you could kind of have jobs forever and be like, oh, I'm continuing to kind of just like optimize for what that like perfect me thing is going to be. What do you feel like is that moment where like you've taken enough learnings and you have like a good enough sense of what you want your culture to look like? Absolutely.
2: Great question. And you know, you hit the nail on the head for me, as I mentioned, we've got a family, have a family business, they're in beauty manufacturing, business is doing very well. I've joined the business in pockets of my career when the business is needing me or when my family is needing me, but I've always respectfully left because I've needed more outside experience to be able to build what I believe is my own confidence to be able to either lead that business one day or lead my own business one day. So my last role prior to joining my family business, and then now Leading seed phytonutrients was I was at Target, I was a buyer at Target, and then I led Target's Beauty Accelerator program, which was great because that was a great way of marrying kind of my buyer role, my strategy role, plus also with my background in beauty. It was just an amazing, I mean, that was like the best job ever. I love my team, I love Target. The company's amazing, the culture's great. Like, it was just a phenomenal place to be only reason I left is we wanted to be back home closer to family in Texas. And so we moved out of Minneapolis to be back. Otherwise, I quite honestly may have still been there and probably would still be there. But kind of saying that and segueing to then starting my own thing or kind of taking on Seed, the, the history of Seed is a little unique, actually. The brand was not founded by me or my family. It was actually founded by L'Oreal in 2018 as an incubator brand. But then I bought it from L'Oreal in May of 2020. So Slightly unique. So we're kind of a unique reverse M&A model of usually kind of a small indie brand, certain size, and then they get bought out by a big, big conglomerate. We're literally the the reverse. So we went from a big conglomerate owned to a true pure play indie brand. We are a team of three women running and operating this, this small and mighty brand. So that was actually a little happenstance where the opportunity came forward for this brand to change ownership. And it, after my evaluation, after looking at it, it was just too amazing of an opportunity to not take this business on. And so then I jumped straight into entrepreneurship a little earlier, truth be told, than I probably would have imagined. Like I I, I either would have still been a target or I'd still be maybe helping the family business on the manufacturing side. So this was a little bit of a leap forward, but I am so eternally very thankful for all of my experiences leading up to this point because I don't feel really, I didn't feel for this, if I was to be super honest, but like you kind of don't really feel ready for these types of big things. You kind of just have to do your best. Again, leverage your really ex- incredibly strong network. Your business is only as strong as your team. So having a really strong, you know, small team is critical. And so, you know, with all the cards at, at the table, I just sort of took the leap and have never looked back. And I've just been so thankful for this opportunity. And, and I'm learning and I don't have everything right. And I, I definitely, definitely don't know everything in what I'm doing half the time, but learning along the way and growing and figuring it out.
1: Yeah, I love your attitude. I think also a huge skill set that you hinted at is this financial background that you were able to look at a deal, like we let's call it the reverse M&A, like you said. And you were able to see that it had so much value. And I think that's also something super unique that like someone on the street can't just go do. It's all these pieces. Plus, I think you saw this amazing opportunity. And so whether it's someone has an idea they can't shake and they want to build it in the world, or it's the reverse, they understand MA and and they want to break off something. It's just interesting to hear you talk about it because it, it's kind of the same idea. It's like an idea that can't go away in your head. You have to build, or you see something that's too good to be true. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about building seed. I mean, I think obviously this whole reverse MA thing is very unique. Maybe we start with just like, how did that opportunity come about? What was so exciting about it that made you say I have to do this? It's a very, very unique story. And I don't hear about these often. So I'd love to hear you just talk a little bit more about, yeah, that like origin story of the company. So seed at the time when they concepted this brand, it was built by
2: you know a handful of leaders on the L'Oreal side, specifically one gentleman who has a strong passion for sustainability and, and, and natural product. And he sort of took a leap of faith even within his L'Oreal network and in within his own role to sort of build seed. And you mentioned in my bio, my father is a really renowned R&D chemist. He actually formulated the first 700 products for Aveda, kind of helped build and start that whole business. And so he is a pioneer in the natural formulation space. And so he was partnering with L'Oreal at the time to help build the entire formulation strategy and the formula. So there was a lot of synergy and partnership there. So the family, not necessarily me, has had history with the brand from the very beginning. So it was just so coincidental enough that you know L'Oreal was looking to put priorities elsewhere. They were looking to sort of divest the brand out for you know not any other reason beyond they just wanted to build another international brand and there were limitations in taking this brand international. So they were looking to to divest. And the first person they came to was our family because they're like, you guys know this brand inside and out. You were there from the beginning. You believe in the history of this brand. We believe you guys have the knowledge, the experience to do it and do it right. So go ahead. And my father was like, look, I have a manufacturing business. I, I am not getting involved in it on my own private brand yet. But my daughter is, this is kind of what she's done. She's help build indie brands. This is like sort of her forte. So the conversation then switched over to me. I evaluated. And then from there, that's how the deal kind of came through and how my L'Oreal was was, it worked mutually beneficially because they knew that I had a strong connection back to the manufacturing side. That business still manufactures all the seed products. But then my background in history lent myself to be a viable partner to them and a viable candidate to then take the brand off and transition. So it was it was very synergistic just synergistic and as i say right like you never know where life will take you and where you'll end up i had always had dreams of starting my own beauty brand but never did i imagine i would buy one that was already made and already built so amazing and super super thrilled about it that i get to kind of start something not from this, from scratch but with already a base foundation but that also brings this host of challenges where our very small team has had to really sort of reimagine what we believe the future of seed needs to be. And we did a lot of that kind of strategy work and, and contemplation prior to the acquisition because we really needed to believe like what do we have here and is there potential? And it was so obvious that there was a ton, but we had a lot of work to do. So upon acquisition, our team for the last from a year and a half to two years have been heads down making a host of changes. So we updated all of our packaging to be more sustainable. We went from kind of this brown paper packaging that wasn't all that sustainable actually when you really, really, really dig deeper To aluminum, which is infinitely recyclable, refillable, reusable, and it just looks nicer than a brown paper package. So win-win-wins all around. So we updated packaging, added a handful of new products that not only are really efficacious and and performance-based, but are sustainable in format as well. We've taken, for example, a traditional shampoo cleanser. So as we all know, a typical shampoo. It has around 97 to 98% water content. It's a lot of water. So if you think about a nine ounce or ten ounce bottle of shampoo, that's a lot of liquid based water, water-based liquid that you're just shipping all over and increasing your carbon footprint. So what we did is we actually took all the water content out and distilled it down to a powder format. So it's this little 60 gram bottle and that 60 gram bottle of powder is equivalent to a liter's worth of liquid cleanser. So imagine it's travel friendly is one eighth of the the weight of a typical shampoo. So we're reducing your carbon footprint and a little goes a long way. So you're able to really conserve more water that way too. So that's a great example of how we're trying to marry product performance, innovation, as well as sustainability. And so And there's a lot more to come. We've doubled down on more sustainability uh, commitments uh, with some partnerships and and we're climate neutral certified, which means we measure and then offset all of our CO2 emissions every single year. So we've been really busy. Like I said, we're a team of three, a really, really, really small team, but worked really hard and really tirelessly. And we're so excited now that we've sort of polished up the brand, sort of reimagined we've updated the branding, made it a little bit younger because it was doing a a bit older. So yeah. excited. And and here we
1: are now and ready to take it back out into the world. You have this re-founder in front of your title. And it's really interesting to think about this like rebrand. And although you are taking a lot of what already exists, you do kind of get to run with it. I mean, it sounds like you really got to kind of change everything. It was basically just giving you like a very, very baseline starting point, which is very cool. I'd love to hear more about like the product itself. So obviously clean beauty is so important. Everyone's talking about it. It's There's a lot of legislation that people are trying to get passed. You know, Kourtney Kardashian was doing a lot with that. Obviously, like the younger generation likes to hold brands really accountable. And so we are seeing this like wave, obviously, of, you know, like removing all the gross stuff, whether it's like deodorant or lotions or whatever. So I'd love to hear from you. Like, how do you think about your product compared to all the other products? Because like, I think that's the thing that I'm always trying to figure out. And if you have any suggestions for me, let me know everything says clean, everything says natural, everything says whatever. And I'm just like, but I want the one that's going to work, which is most important for me, effectiveness. You know, I can't have a deodorant that's fully natural. That doesn't actually, it still makes me smell, but that doesn't have this the bad stuff. So if you have one, any advice on like places to go and like what's kind of the like under the table, like to really see what's going on. And then if you have anything to comment on about like your product is compared to kind of all the, a lot of the other clean beauty brands.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's, it's a, good thing that natural is becoming more is it's just more mainstream right like no longer is being natural a choice you have to choose this sort of everywhere the big guys are doing it all the way down to the indie brands it's just sort of table stakes now which is i think is a good thing right like it shouldn't have to be this like sought after more expensive option for you to just have natural products. but with that being said like greenwashing is very much a real thing right like natural and there aren't very good standards as you alluded to in the u.s today about organic certifications natural like standards just it's just very loose right now so what is hard to find and what it's and it's easy for a lot of brands to claim is oh yeah you know we're natural but does your product actually work right and so we actually very very proudly and very firmly stand behind that we are and actually our brand ethos is formula first sustainability always and that what that really ultimately means is like, it's about the product and it's about the product that works. It's not just about what doesn't go in the formulas. It's very much about what does go in the formulas to power them, to make them effective, to make them do what they're intended to do, but also it's good for you and the planet. So that's sort of who we are. And then again, our, our formulas are very rooted in performance because our formulator is, that's just, that's what he's good. That's what he's known for. He has four patents under his name for natural preservatives for aromatherapy, fragrance-based like benefits, that's his forte. Like that is what that does. And so to have his brain power put what he knows times 10 into this brand, which is what he did, we stand very strongly and firmly behind. Like you get what you get and what you what we say we'll do, it's going to deliver. And it's going to smell good and it's good for the planet. So and it's not easy, right? Like making sure you're reading the labels and, and these labels are, are pretty difficult sometimes, but there's a host of sites online. There's a host of resources available for if you really wanted to get deeper, like do that and, and encourage, you know, our brand, we do that. We put all of our trans. we define every ingredient that we put into every product on our website. We even break down our fragrances to make sure that oftentimes, you know, a very non-known kind of hidden thing that brands do is, they put perfume slash fragrance on their formula, but it's synthetic. And that is oftentimes what causes a lot of breakouts, a lot of health issues, hormonal issues. For example, we at Seed, we only use 100% natural essential oil-based fragrances. So there are never any and no synthetics forever and always. That's a non-negotiable for us. But then to even break that down further, we actually give out our breakdown of how, what our fragrance profiles are. So for someone who might have even a general sensitivity towards geranium, for example, well please, we encourage you, go online, read about our, our products, because it might not maybe work for you. If you're highly, highly sensitive, and although our products are very sensitive and safe, do the homework, do your research. And, and brands need to be better about giving that level of transparency to consumers because they're asking for it. And then it's no longer, like I say, nice to have. It's a must-have. Like It's a requirement now. So brands have to suck it up, and we got to do it, and because it's the right thing to do. So Ask your brand if they are not transparent enough. They, they, they should
1: be. Yeah, they've got nothing to hide, like, you know, just share, share what's going on. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I think following you guys and seeing that example will be really huge. And, you know, when you guys share sites, it's like, okay, great. That's the one that we should be looking at for things. I do a bit of a, an obvious question, but I am very curious about working with your father. I know he's obviously this like renowned R&D guy. You're obviously so far in your career, a very successful businesswoman paths have yet to really cross. I mean, I know you've at times kind of helped with family business stuff, but what has that been on a deeper level where you are like the CEO of a company and you need him to deliver quality product? I also when I think I'll, I'll just speak quickly on. I used to work for a small startup. When I think of all the fires that can go wrong, I would say the biggest fire is crappy product. Like that's the thing that like makes your business go under is cash tied up in a crappy product. So. When I think of all the possible industries to have someone that you like need to have your back, that's a good one to pick. So could you tell me a little bit more about that? What that's been like?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's definitely I I chuckle because you should ask my team the question what it's like to get on product development calls with me and my dad. And like, I still haven't, I still haven't gotten away from being like, dad. Oh, I mean, for gosh, I mean, I don't know what to call you. And my team's like, just call him dad. It's fine. I'm like, I'm sorry. That seems really weirdly unprofessional. And they're like, no, 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 it's fine. So even that funny nuance, like, God bless my team who are just so patient as me and my dad sometimes duke it out because we just have different opinions on things. And like, dad, this, dad, that. But, um, but outside of that, you know, it's an extremely, extremely massive feather in our cap as a brand to have him as our formulator. And we take his expertise, his knowledge, his experience. I mean, gosh, he has been in the beauty industry for 40 plus years now. I mean, in the truest sense of startup. I mean, he built the natural platform that the beauty industry is in today. And so we take his knowledge, his background and his expertise and his, his advice, honestly, to heart. And, and we are so thankful for it. We believe that's one of our, I think, success factors and what we claim to be kind of what will help, I think, us win and helps us stand apart in the market is having someone like him as our like, R&D genius is, is amazing. And, and we, we take that for, we don't take that for granted. You know, but the dynamics are interesting. Like, we definitely do not agree on everything in terms of even like what products we as a brand believe are sort of up and coming and where we kind of want to take the brand next. You know, in his world, like he and what a lot of his clients come to is like, gosh, tell us like what's trending, what's hot, like what can you do, like what new technology are you brewing in your brain that you can bring to the brand? And so we similarly ask him a lot of those same questions. And there's some things that he's really excited about that I'm like, not really. And he kind of just, his mind gets blown and he's like, but no, no, I'm telling you like, this is great. And I'm like, maybe, but not for us, right? Like our brand because of X, Y, Z. So it's so funny working with him as his daughter slash client, because I'm his client at the end of the day. So like be respectful of his background and be respectful of his expertise, but then also being firm and like as a leader of this brand we as a team sort of know where we want to go with our product development pipeline we kind of know that there's certain technology that doesn't really jive with our brand ethos so having those sticky conversations can be really interesting because it's it's oftentimes hard not to discern daughter like don't disobey me and i'm like it's all about that like it has nothing to do with that (laughs) consider me as your client so that's been sort of some funny little funny little nuances but i mean those are far and few between for the most part he's We are, we leverage a lot of his mindset on how we think about product performance, how we take our existing products and think about them differently because, you know, not to L'Oreal's discredit in any way, I think they did a really great job of building this brand where it went, where it got, but they focused a lot on the sustainability story. But what we believe as a new team, what they failed to do, I think very overtly is, is talk a lot about performance because the products were amazing. Like people came back oftentimes to our, for our products because Yes, the marketing and the sustainability sold the first product, but then our repeat sales came from performance. And so we've made, we're have we making a very intentional shift to say, look, sustainability is sort of table stakes for us. We're going to do it. We're going to constantly do it. We're going to double down as much as we can. But let me explain to you why our products really work and here's why. So thinking about how the fragrance works as an active, thinking about why our seed complexes and our seed extracts are extremely powerful and, and, the, and the technology and how you get the oils out of the ingredients, like there's a lot of the technical side that we're able to tap into him that's been just invaluable. So, 99% of the time, it's been awesome. And those few little funky moments where I'm like, "Oh, dad-daughter moment, this is weird."
1: <laughs> I'm obsessed with this idea. Like, instead of partners that like can argue, and that's kind of like the normal dynamic. Like the normal dynamic between parent and child is like, I used to discipline you as the parent, and you as the daughter had to be grounded or whatever. And so the pushback is maybe less so. Whereas like with a marriage, it's like, like, I know lots of partners that are in business together. And it's like, yeah, we argue about or we push back on a lot of things because we are doing. So it's actually very interesting to hear you talk about that. Because it's very, it's a different dynamic. Well, you know, being partners in business and being parent and child in business are still family. It's a completely different power dynamic, which is so funny to hear. But yeah, I the feather in the cap thing is so true. And you're so lucky, you know, I think like, super macro, so lucky to have him involved. One other comment I want to make too is just about, I think the performance comments spot on. And so my background is in social entrepreneurship, impact, all of that. And I think what some, a lot of people get wrong is they hold too closely to the impact sustainability narrative as the, the thing that keeps people coming back. When in reality, it's performance and price. And I think hearing you talk about it in the way that you are. I mean, you want no financial metrics. Those always speak loudest, but hearing you explain that I think is spot on. And I think unfortunately brands that put their impact story or their sustainability story as the thing to you know tie their cap on, keep the same metaphor. like It doesn't always work because people care at the end of the day about getting the most bang for their buck and having something that works. Otherwise they're gonna go elsewhere. They don't care enough. That's why everyone uses Amazon. It's like we all know there's they we all know there's issues, you know, but people want efficiency, they want something reliability, they want low price. And so I think that doesn't change even with our generation. So
2: agreed. And I firmly believe for a brand to stand this test test of time, and we're in an environment where anyone can start a beauty brand. I mean, you can be building product in your kitchen and, and package it and sell it to You've got every major big player playing in this space now. I mean, and celebrities included. Like, it's very easy now, quote unquote, to like start a brand in the beauty space. But to stand the test of time, to have your brand truly become, in my opinion, like a, a household staple brand, the product just has to work, period. Mm-hmm. And that could be very things like there are, you know, there's the strategy of good, better, best, right? So good is kind of more value driven, maybe less performance based, but you get what you pay for better sort of kind of this middle ground of, like you've got some actives it, it's, it's higher performing but again it's maybe more medium priced and you got your best which is like premium crop top of the top of the line super expensive formulas and products but but you know it's, it's extremely extremely power-packed a lot of the dermatology based lines are like that so there's a variance in what's out there so being best in your game isn't you have to be at the best it's not that you have to have the most active the most expensive formulas you can have maybe less expensive, less high performance formulas, but they have to do what they intended to do still at the end of the day, right? If you have a shampoo, it better suds, I better clean my hair, and it better not make me my hair irritated. And so you have to just deliver, period, on performance. And if you can't do that, then you can sell product for only a certain amount of time, but then you're going to fizzle out. And I've seen it time and time and time again with my indie brand evaluation work and vetting. i've vetted over a thousand plus beauty brands and i've seen it where it's like how are you going to stand the test of time i, I ask these brands often and if it's not their answers are not tied back to the product and what they're putting out there i don't care about your marketing strategy i don't care about your social media strategy that's great that's just communicating what you're offering but if your actual core offering isn't legit you know you're not going to have much to do, in my opinion so
1: yeah it's just so cool too that you've had just such clear experience so you can just bring it to what you're doing. Do you know Sarah Murray at Curie? Have you heard of Curie, the deodorant brand? No. Okay. You guys need to connect. She came on this podcast previously. I just like think she's the best. She was on Shark Tank. So you might recognize her face, but she's doing a lot of her thought process. She comes from venture capital. She comes from a kind of like very similar financial business background. And she's basically creating products that really work and will stand the test of time. So, Someone for you to chat with. We'll, we'll connect offline, but she's great. We do have one final question. We ask all our guests. So this question is, what is one piece of advice you would give to all 20-somethings across the world?
2: My number one biggest piece of advice that I wish I was given is don't stress about having all the answers. You just don't. You never will. You never, ever, ever will have all the answers. Take it step by step. Take it day by day. Leverage your network, whoever that may be, from mentors to family, to friends, to counselors, anybody, leverage your network and be true to yourself. Find opportunities to learn, find opportunities to build experiences because you will never have the answer to everything and that is okay.
1: I love that. The building experience thing and not having answers is there's this concept of like identity capital that like Meg Jay talks about where she's like, you're not gonna have the answers. So just go do cool stuff that you can talk about in the future that'll add value to your life. And it's not about like always having the most prestigious thing on the resume or always having the most, you know, the wealthiest person of Ashby. Like it's not that stuff. It's the really interesting experiences you do to, while you figure it out and don't have the answers. So that advice really resonates. And I think it takes a while for that to sink in. So I think you just have to keep repeating it to yourself. I'm still
2: letting that sink in. I say that and like, if my husband was here, he'd be laughing. He'd be like, okay, lady, like you need to, he's like, I tell you this on a frequent, where I I as well have the tough time of being like, I have to figure this out. And like, as a leader, I should know. And he's like, no, you don't have to know. Ask around, leverage your peer network. And he constantly reminds me that as well. So I'm still practicing my own, my own advice on a daily basis. So
1: yes, I love it. I love it as we all are. Well, Karika, this was so fun. Thanks for coming on. Can you let everyone know where they can find out more about Seed? Like if they want some product, if they want to just even maybe initially follow along and like kind of see the stats you guys put out there in your products. Can you just give everyone a a quick insight into where to find you and Seed? Yes,
2: absolutely. So definitely check us out on our website, SeedPhytonutrients.com. There we are constantly updating our page with new content. Anytime we have new sustainability measures that we're uh, committing to, we just launched a new product, our SPF 30, which I am personally super excited about. That was on my hot list of things to do from back in 2020. But OTC products take a minute. So really excited to launch that. So that's always a place where we're going to launch new products first. Also, you can read a little bit more about our story and sort of some of our ingredient philosophies and and learn more about our formula. So definitely check out our website. Also check us out on Instagram. We are always doing some great fun giveaways, doing product announcements. We do some really fun promos also on our site. And a lot of that is communicated via our Instagram channel as well. And then, you know, check us out on some of our retail partners. We're in all Sprouts Farmers Market stores across the nation. Grove Collaborative, grove.com is is one of our great partners. Thrive,
1: Pharmaca. So check us out. Awesome. Awesome. Definitely will. I am excited to try. I think this shampoo powder is really, calling my name, I'm very curious. You've intrigued me. I'm going to hook you up with some samples. Don't worry. (laughs) I'll find them your way. (laughs) I appreciate you. Well, this was so fun. Thank you for coming on and being so open with us and so excited to keep following your journey and all the cool stuff you do. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. It was wonderful chatting
0: with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear 20 Something. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20 Something on Instagram or subscribe here or anywhere you get podcasts.